Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. All right, I'm clapping. You know why I'm clapping? We actually have names to talk about, Eddie Garrison. Names to talk about, 12 of them, in fact. The biggest draft class for the Colts in the modern draft era, which dates back to, I think, 94. That would be seven-round drafts. Um, I think the biggest class since 92 when the draft was like 13 rounds or something like that back then. So uh, we're going to break down all of them. Uh, obviously, a lot of Anthony Richardson on the Friday podcast. If you missed that, check that out. Uh, we'll get and probably focus a little bit more on the other 11, obviously. We'll still talk a lot of Anthony Richardson, but focus on the other 11 names on today's pod. Um, so good Monday morning to you. I'm Kevin Bowen, Eddie Garrison. As always, is with me here on Kevin's Corner. Rookie minicamp coming up later this week, so looking forward to getting out there and seeing Richardson on the field in that setting. Um, I would assume, Eddie, let's do another Monday pod next week. Uh, maybe after that we can kind of shift back into our later in the week sort of settings, but I feel like it'll be good to recap uh, rookie minicamp as well. How you doing, man? Doing well. Uh, how about you? Good weekend, other than uh, covering the draft from West 56 pretty much every week, yeah, every, every you know, day? It, um it's funny. The, the the draft is long, and at times it can be a bit tedious. Now, when the team you cover has 12 picks, there's not a lot of tedious moments. But I, I said this to Maddie quite a lot over the last week. What I love about it is how much... Well, first off, I love finding out the new stories. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's cool just learning a little bit more about these new players. Uh, but I also really enjoy how much fans crave it. Fans are just obsessed with it. And so it's nice to produce content that is then consumed by people. And Eddie, I mean, I don't need to tell you, just look at how many people have already listened to the Anthony Richardson podcast mm-hmm. from Friday. You know, it was probably our most listened pod in, in quite some time. So um, that just goes to show you, you know, how much interest there is. And again, I, I, I guess we'll, we'll start here before we get into, you know, each individual player. There should be, I think, excitement from Colts fans on this draft class. And you know why? It's not because the Colts drafted 12 dudes that could go win a decathlon tomorrow <laughs> and 12 dudes that, you know, whatever, dominated their respective pro days and combine testing numbers and all of that. You know, for the most part, that's been Chris Boward's MO. I mean, yes, does this class have maybe a tick more on the relative athletic score than the others? Probably. But you know what? This is Ben Ballard's thing. He drafts dudes that are strong testers. Um, you know, when I was looking back on my mock draft, Eddie ended up getting three of the nine picks right, which I'm like shocked by. But then again, I'm like, well, Ballard has kind of told us at this point what he does. If you test well and you go to the senior bowl and you're a team captain, you're probably on the Colts board. Yep. So now it's just matchup position with round and all that. So uh, Blake Freeland and Evan Hole were the other two besides, obviously, Richardson. But I think the reason why Colts fans should be most excited about this group, Eddie, is... I see, unlike the other six drafts Ballard has has done, I see more of a premium position of focus Mm -hmm. with the earlier picks. To me, it's the most. Obviously, Richardson speaks for itself. Like That's a quarterback at number four overall. But what have I always said on this podcast? In some order, quarterback, wide out, probably left tackle if you have a right-hander, defensive end, and corner. Those are the five positions that stand above the rest. And look at this draft. Your first four picks, all those premium spots. Yep. 
five of your first six, eight of your overall 12 in the entire class are at those spots. You took three corners. You took a couple offensive tackles. You obviously took a quarterback. You throw a dart at an edge rusher on, on day three. We have not seen that. I mean, sure, you've had moments where you've drafted premium positions in the first couple of rounds, but not to this extent. Mm -hmm. Not to this level with each of your first four, five of your first six. We're six years into the Ballard regime. This would be year seven. We've seen where a guard at six has gotten you. We see where a running back at 41 has gotten you or a a safety at 15 in Malik Hooker. Like... um, we have seen that song and dance. If there's anything you can point to with Ballard's offseason approach so far that's different, it's this. It's the premium positions. He handled free agency how he always does. He handled the draft and drafting athletes. like He, he always drafts elite athletes. Again, maybe a little bit higher here, but he always does this. To me, if you are a Colts fan, either looking for an area to be excited about or just looking for something different Ballard's done here in 2023, it's this. It is more of a premium positions. Now, Eddie, you could easily sit here and say, well, it's because the Colts don't necessarily have answers yeah. at some of those premium positions. Sure, that, that, that's a fair fair assessment, and that probably is why he should have tried to do this a little bit earlier in his tenure. So I know the headline, Eddie, is an easy sort of like Colts draft elite athletes. Like That is the obvious headline from... You know, pretty much everybody out there. And there is a lot of validity and truth to that. But again, more than that, to me, it is a premium position focus from Chris Ballard here in 2023. Totally agree with you. And two things you got three right out of what, nine you mocked, right? Three for nine? Three, yeah. You'd be the leading, uh, you'd have the top batting average on the Cincinnati Reds with that, (laughs) with that, with that hit right there. I was thinking this, and this is probably something more for you. You know, before the start of the draft, Richardson was probably what, like plus one thousand to go to the Colts, plus twelve hundred. Uh, he he closed at plus five hundred. Okay, closed there. So maybe you know, a week before the draft, you might have got him at plus thousand, something like that, to go to the Colts. You know, obviously Freeland and Hull would have been like whatever, plus two thousand. I mean, that's what? just like literally a one out of thirty-two chance. Yeah. I'm like, man, you know, should I have just done ten dollars on each of the nine guys in the mock? And you know, seen? if they went that far out, I would say yes. But yeah, yeah I know that is a good point. They probably don't. Uh, go that and the second thing I wanted to bring up before we dive pick by pick here when you look at the first seven picks I think six of the seven are replacement for players that they lost obviously you have Anthony Richardson that was a much needed hole at quarterback so that that was expected and that and you can obviously point pinpoint that to Matt Ryan replacement or even dating back to Andrew Luck really uh, you've got Julius Brintz that is your replacement for Stefan Gilmore Josh Downs is your replacement for Paris Campbell uh, Blake Freeland is the one pick out of the first seven that Chris Ballard made You'd probably go Pryor or or Kelly I just guess that's to, uh, true of who your backup tackles were last I week. guess that that's, uh, yeah, that's a good point. And then, oh, I had his name down for Sports Talk Saturday night, and it's already out of my head. Uh, the, Are you going to give it an effort? Uh, I'm not going to give it an effort okay. at the moment. Uh, Northwestern's Should defensive end. Go for it. Okay. I mean, you talked to him, so. And, and I said to him, I, I go, before we get started, just give us your first and last name. Because, uh, you know, I, I first off, I just think it's like common courtesy to, to do that. Secondly, I had no idea where the hell I was going and even trying to address him. Addy Tamiwa? Adebare. Oh, that's that's spot on. Adi Tamiwa. Adebare. 
I need to clip that off and then send it to like Google or something so that every time it's like somebody looks up <laughs> how to robot on gotta be the yeah. robot on YouTube, you yeah. know, when they, when they search it. Now yeah. he, he did say he likes that to be written out, so he wants Ade Tamiwa. Not Ade Ade or whatever I was seeing on Twitter. He he wants that written out, but then once he talks to you in person, call him Tommy. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it was a very specific take. So I will abide by that. I think Father Nigerian Prince, I believe, at some point. Oh so, wow. Yeah. So there is some mystery there. So, so yeah. then his replacement, or he's replacing, I guess you could say, uh, would be either Yannick Ngakwe, but I would probably err more on the side of Ben Banigou simply because you don't expect a lot from defensive end rookies right away in their, in their first season. And then Darius Rush uh, is like a Brandon Faison replacement potentially, and then Daniel Scott is potentially a replacement for um, Rodney McLeod. Or to add depth in that safety room specifically, but that's just kind of what my overall, you know, beliefs or thoughts were when I was looking at it from like a bigger picture standpoint. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I I do think Tommy will be a little bit more interior than he will be, but again, to your point, Eddie, that's almost like Curtis Brooks gone. You know, Eric Johnson didn't do a lot for you. Mm-hmm. They they went outside Taven Bryant, so we'll we'll get more into that throughout pick by pick. But you know, again, no linebacker, no guard. We can chat about that maybe at the end. Um, I did post 10 takeaways on our website, 1075thefan.com there on that end. So that covers a little bit more of just uh, overall takeaways. But unless you got anything else, man, let's dive into uh, Juju Brents. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, Juju Brent's quarterback out of Kansas State. He's an Indianapolis native, went to Warren Central High School, 6'3", 198. Uh, he was selected by the Colts in the second round at 44th overall after a couple of tradebacks. Uh, he played 46 career games with 32 starts at Kansas State from 2021 to 2022, and then at Iowa from 2018 to 2020. Uh, he compiled over 100 tackles, 6.5 tackles for loss, 16 passes defended, 6 interceptions, and 1 forced fumble. Just first, Eddie, and this is a tangent. You want to know why IU and Purdue are bad at football? IU very bad, Purdue mediocre. Bad at recruiting in-state athletes. I mean, what are we doing here? Three-star kid out of Warren Central, and he's a number thirty-five overall pick. <laughs> like, okay. Anyway. Dewan Jones. Um, yeah, Dewan Jones as well. Granted, he was a little bit more highly rated recruit. Um, oh yeah. So you traded back twice, Eddie. Um, for what it's worth, no corners went in that nine-pick span. Um, so clearly if you identify it didn't sound like they necessarily had Brent's identified as the guy at 35 Ballard mentioned they had kind of a cluster of five or six guys that they liked uh, Michael Mayer did go at 35 uh, Jonathan Mingo went I know some people were, were high on him a couple of edge guys went during that span as well but I'll never forget walking to the local pro day hell about a month ago and I walk in there and usually if you're really good and you're a local prospect you're not working out it's just typical. Like local pro days, more for like the day three undrafted guys that that work out. I walk in there, and the first thing I say to myself is, "Whoa, who is that?" And I'm talking about Brent's because he is a tall, long, and like well built dude. Like mm-hmm. weight is no issue whatsoever. And if you would have given me a, a piece of paper right there, Eddie, and said, "What position do you think that dude plays?" I would have said safety and linebacker before I said corner. One thousand percent. I mean, he is legit six three, legit two hundred pounds, 
Um, and those arms, I mean, the arms are so long. And it screams Seattle Corner. It screams Gus Bradley's history. Mm-hmm. All of that. The Richard Sherman type, yeah. Sure, it, it, exactly. Um, I found it interesting that Gus and Chris Bout have mentioned the Colts want to play a little bit more press. I, I, I like the sound of that. I Again, I'll probably you know believe it once I see it. But I do like some of that tone. I got a lot of these questions about Brents over the weekend, especially when people saw his 40 time of 4-5. And they compared that to Rocky Scene's 40 time, or even a Quincy Wilson, I think, had a similar 40 time, and those are obviously other second round picks. <sighs> Quincy what Wilson. What I think could be a separator with Brents compared to those guys, if you want to look at the testing side of it, his short area quickness is much better than those two, specific, specifically Rock. Mm-hmm. We're talking three cone, um, even the 10 yard, the short shuttle, those sorts of things. Brents really, really excelled there as an athlete. Obviously, the local connection speaks for itself. Favorite player was Bob Sanders growing up. He had his draft party at Birdie's in Westfield for our, for our local uh-huh, crowd. Yeah. Great little putt-putt place right next to nice spot. Grand Park. Nice spot. I know he was doing his Zoom, and in the background, it had like a picture of a Westfield like bridal company. Like, <laughs> like, and I'm like, where in the world is he right now? And then he um, eventually told us. I asked him, Julius, Juju, what are we going with here? And um, he seemed pretty open to either, but then he ended it with, at Kansas State, they called it Juju Island. So I'm, I mean, I feel like once I hear that, you got to go Juju, right? You think any corner has never not had an island since Revis? Maybe a few more inhabitants on some people's islands. Than it's got to fit. Does Juju Island fit? I don't know. Uh, he he was a fun personality. I enjoyed talking with him. I mean, there are some injuries. Um, it wasn't tremendous ball production. It wasn't like. He did have some, you know, penalties and and so things like that. I'm trying to get to like reasons why he wouldn't have been, you know, whatever up there with Witherspoon or mm-hmm. you know, uh, Christian Gonzalez. I know dropped a little bit, but up there with some of those guys um, of the top corners. You know, I do find this, and maybe this is just conversations with Jack Doyle, and obviously Jack Doyle handled it pretty well. And Doyle, to be fair, wasn't a second round pick and wasn't, you know, initially here as an undrafted free agent. I do feel like there would be a lot of pressure playing for your hometown team hmm. a lot of pressure and you know I, I again I think there's probably some people in the Brents family that would tell you like we love it but <laughs> let's not ignore just the amount of requests or just little stuff like I have no idea where Juju Brents went to junior high but whatever let's say he went to Stony Brook you know can you imagine like Stony Brook's coach being like hey man if you got a free minute you mind coming here after practice one day yeah. <laughs> If he's in Seattle, he's not getting any of that. And just those sorts of things are just, you always kind of feel like you're obligated to do something on that end. Really cool, but also, you know, that is maybe a slight nitpick or just a slight question that you would have. But um, he will not participate, it sounds like, fully this spring. So I think that would be the one hindrance. Wrist injury, correct? Yeah, wrist. He didn't participate at that local pro day as well. Uh, But he did the Senior Bowl stuff. And then decided, I think, to have a procedure on the wrist. So, uh, but we'll be full go for training camp. He said, and Eddie, if you made, if you handed me a piece of paper right now and said, Kevin, out of the twelve names, most likely to start all seventeen games. I think it's him. Really? Now, I think who I would put next on that list, we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, but I think it would be him. It's just there's such a scarcity at that position, and yeah, I think Richardson's going to play, and I think he's going to play early, but. If you said, you know, okay, here's, you know, Max is never going to be sick ever again. Um, that's who I would bet on. So <laughs> that would be the guy that I feel like, based off positional, 
again, just depth chart is wild looking. I mean, you drafted three corners, Eddie. Three of them. I mean, that's a big number. And they're all outside guys, which is maybe might be a slight nitpick there. Um, I would like to have seen a slot go with that. So, um, anything else on uh, Juju? Not that I can add. Uh, round three, the Colts finally went wide receiver somewhat early outside of Michael Pittman Jr. in the draft. They selected a guy that I wanted them to draft in round two that fell out to round three. Josh Downs, wide receiver from North Carolina, had over 200 receptions in his, in his collegiate career and 34 games played with 23 starts and almost hit the 2,500-yard plateau with 22 touchdowns. Eddie, I want to add a little context around those numbers. 195 catches in the last two years, and he missed two games. Mm-hmm. Those are big, big numbers. I mean, I North Carolina hosted Notre Dame this year. You know, it was one of those games where you know Notre Dame, of course, is you know lost to freaking Ohio State and Marshall, and you're like, boy, this is where the season just could unravel. You know, it's one of those where it's like, this is a tough team. It's on the road, blah blah blah. And Downs was banged up coming into that game. I think he might have missed the two previous. And I remember just listening to various Notre Dame podcasts, and they'd have North Carolina people on, and they were like, this is a huge storyline for this week. Like, if Josh Downs plays or not. Huge. <laughs> and then I think he scored on the first fourth down of the game in the red zone, and I was like, of all the people, why are we not accounting for him? You know, very loud. <laughs> Rosie was confused and whatever. Um, I wanted wide out on day two, and what did I want? I wanted a point guard. I didn't want power forwards. Point guard. Said that quite often. And I went with Tyler Scott in the mock. And Tyler Scott, who actually fell a little bit. Um, he went in the fifth, didn't he? I think fourth to Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. No, that was the other Cincinnati receiver. I forget I, I forget where. Scott went to the Bears. I thought Mark, Mark Dykton was, was talking to me about that. But nonetheless. Oh, yeah, he did. Fourth? Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I said point guard, what I mean by that is you need more of a speed guy in the slot. And I think you can look at two flavors of speed. You can look at the straight line speed, or you can look at kind of the lateral jitterbug speed. Downs tested just fine in the 40, but I think Downs is more of your lateral jitterbug guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to put my foot in the ground, and I've created two and a half feet of separation, or whatever. I've created nine inches of separation, and now all of a sudden, that's a window for my quarterback to get me the ball in third and five, and now it's a seven-yard gain, and we've moved the chains. Uh, Chad Henry, Colts area scout, has always has some hilarious analogies after draft picks. He called um, he called Downs the human chain mover. He called him a hiccup because he's as fast as a hiccup. And was this on uh, with the next pick? Uh, it hasn't come out yet. This is at uh, the press conferences on Saturday night oh, okay. after the picks. And he basically said, you know, when you have the hiccups, uh, the defense or the defensive player needs to go to the bench and get some water to try and rest because he can't guard Josh Downs. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, Eddie, this is probably like scar tissue as someone that has watched the Colts play a whole lot of football in my life. But I think you can probably speak to this too. Eddie, you could very quickly name slot receivers that have absolutely killed the Colts over the years. Welker, Edelman, how about Hunter Renfro? Um, I swear he did it every time the Colts played the Texans, and he hasn't done it yet in a Colts uniform. I don't even know if he's still here anymore. Kiki Kuti, when he was a Texan. Mm-hmm. like These types of dudes kill the Colts, and it's such a huge element to an offense 
on third down and in the red zone when you get in these one-on-one man situations and a team says, you're in the slot, I'm not putting my best corner on you, um, I feel like whatever, we're going to be able to bracket you or we're going to be able to just you know really be physical with you. And Down showed in college he can be super effective in this role. Reggie Wayne, by all accounts, was obsessed with Josh Downs throughout the process, wanted him badly. Ballard says that they tried to trade up for him for about 30 minutes um, as well. And and I've mentioned this. I don't want Isaiah McKenzie as a slot receiver for the Colts. I think you want Isaiah McKenzie in the gadget role. He's too inconsistent to be a a slot every down wide out for you. Again, I think Josh Downs can be your slot of the future. A little bit of punt return history. Had some drops as a sophomore. That number really improved this season. Dad played in the NFL for seven years. So did his uncle. He's a pro bowler. Drew Bly. Uh, I thought his sister married as Dre Bly. What? His sister married Dre Bly. would be his uncle, right? Brother-in-law, right? If your sister married. Oh, I thought, it's, I thought it was Maybe uncle. Maybe it is uncle. I don't know what the family tree is. He is somewhat related, somehow related, to Dre Bly. Uncle. Uh, Dre. It, it is uncle? Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously there's a lot of NFL history from his father and then people that he is with right now. So um, His sister played soccer at Kennesaw State. Ooh, if you got that, yeah. Woo-hoo. They almost upset Xavier in round one of the tournament. Um, so I am a fan of this downs pick. And again, in and out, quickness, lateral guy. Um I like the thinking here. And, and I think, you know, I know a lot of people wanted to do the T.Y. Hilton thing, and I even asked him about T.Y. Hilton. I saw someone make a really good point um, that I think he's less T.Y. Hilton and a little bit more like Rondell Moore. Like, you know, again, some of the that lateral stuff. And he can do some things with the ball in his hand. Not like, I, I don't act like it's just let him touch it and, boy, he's going to you know take it 80 yards. But he can do some things post-catch, which you like as well. So, uh, I think it's a perfect co- type of compliment to what you have in that room, and it was much needed. you got to diversify that room. So uh, pick 79 to round out day two. It was Josh Downs. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. In the fourth round, the Colts had a pair of selections, 106th, 110th. We start at 106, and this is where Kevin got his mock correct for the player. This is his second pick, Blake Freeland, tackle from Brigham Young University, 6'8", 302, big boy. Big boy. The thing that stood out to me the most about Freeman, Eddie, that I liked was he's got over a dozen starts at right tackle and left. That that's very important to me when you look at projecting guys in the middleish rounds, particularly when you look at the Colts depth chart. You know, we're, we'll do the exercise like we do every year in July. The most indispensable Colts. Yep. It's something that we do each and every year. If you were to ask me last week, make a list of the most indispensable Colts, I can make a strong argument to putting Braden Smith number one on that list. Yep. I can make a strong argument to putting Bernard Ryman in the top five. You have nobody at tackle. And we're still projecting Ryman a little bit, you know? I mean, it's not like an absolute slam dunk. So, you need him. Um, You know, he kind of told a little bit of a Joe Wright story in terms of big old weight gain for him. He was a high school quarterback at one point. 
Great track background, great field background, I should say, when you talk track and field. Uh, 2,000 calorie protein shake sort of thing. Always eating, always working out. Uh, he said he didn't have a ton of interest, he felt like, from the Colts. Um, but this is kind of in the Ryman mold. And if you're going to look at these two, and then Jake Witt we'll get to as as well. But if you look at Ryman, you look at Freeland, Eddie, and Witt, they all kind of fall in the tall, long, athletic. The question is what? Can they handle power? Mm-hmm. Like that, I mean, that, you know, can they handle power? So... Um, that would be the question that I would have with him. But from day one, he should be your swing tackle. And, he, and he's one injury away from maybe being needed week one, you know, as as crazy as that sounds. So I'm good to this pick. You guys know full well. I've said it for quite some time. I don't feel like Chris Bauer has taken enough tackles in the post-Anthony Costanzo era. And this is one that is much more of a realistic shot than a guy like Jake Witt, of course, coming up in round seven. Started 41 games last year at BYU. Or in his career, I should say, twenty six at left tackle, fifteen at right, uh, and he was only one of three players for BYU last year to start all thirteen games. It's a little bit of a Joe Hag background. He's actually started all thirteen games the last two seasons. Yeah, he was really durable. I saw they got an undrafted kid. I think they're right guard from BYU. Um, we'll probably get more of the undrafted guys next week. To be honest with you, so yeah, Blake Freeland right there at what was that one hundred six? I think pick one hundred six. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Pick 110. Kevin? <laughs> well, can you go Tommy now? Because we've already done the... the I, I cannot go Tommy yet until I get the actual name down. Addy Tamiwa? Addy Tamiwa? Adibare? Adibare. I, I think the last name is much easier than the first. Addy Tamiwa? Adibare. Mm-hmm. Out of Northwestern, 6'2", 282. This was a guy that I think uh, Dane Brugler, Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, and countless other, Dar- Daniel Jeremiah, had this guy pegged maybe even in the late of the first round or certainly going in the second, but then he falls to the Colts in round four at pick 110 overall. Yeah, I think... He really lit up the combine. You know, that's when a lot of people started to be like, whoa, tell me more about this guy. Again, North, everybody at this point, I think, knows about what he did at the combine. 284 pounds and he ran 449. <laughs> no one's done that, I think, in two decades. Um, period. No matter the position. He, I mean, hell, he ran a faster 40 than Juju Brents. Can you imagine? <laughs> and Josh Downs. And Josh Downs. I mean, like, just absolutely crazy in what he was able to do and just. At, Athletically, I think something that I found interesting is like when I saw he was drafted in round four, Eddie, I thought to myself, boy, I just was the production that bad at Northwestern for him. And then you look at his production and it's actually like pretty good. Like his tackle for loss number, pretty good. His sack number, pretty good. Like I think it's 12 sacks, 24 tackles for loss. And again, I think he's more of an interior guy. Now, I know 6-1 probably scared some teams away. And it doesn't sound like they feel like he's got like an ideal position, but it was surprising to me that he fell to this point of the draft. I guess he has no true position. Um, but again, defensive tackle depth is a question. Um, Grover Stewart, I believe, is entering a contract year. I mean, to me, he's in the final year of his contract, correct? To me, he deserves an extension before the start of the year, but that's just me. Um, but it sounds like three techniques, so that would be more the Buckner, you know, backup than anything. Um, he said his technique needs work, um, but he likes the interiors. Has you know a lot less thinking. 
feels like his get off and, and kind of his motor are, are, are two things. Pretty durable um, over the last couple of seasons as well. So, uh, yeah, this is a guy that just depth along the D line and it definitely, you know, checks in, in terms of kind of was an absolute must, but Taven Bryant's on a one year deal. I understand why the Colts made this selection. How close is he in comparison to Dioa Dangbo? Well, the biggest difference would be just sheer length, height and length. Um, but I do, to your point, Eddie, I would probably say, because, you know, the Colts have these guys. Like, what is Tyquan Lewis exactly? What is Dio exactly? What is Tommy exactly? Um, I think he's probably the most interior of the bunch. He really didn't sound too enamored with rushing off the edge. Mm. And at 6'1", 280. He played a lot of interior, I think, too, at Northwestern. I get that. Like, I, I get what his thinking is there. So, again, throw him into the D-line mix for depth. And uh, Is Northwestern 4-3 or 3-4? Do you know? Or I don't. I, I would assume 4-3. Some would argue it doesn't really matter. They suck in general. Um, <laughs> well, their about, defenses have typically been good. It's the offense. Yeah. How about four drafted Northwestern Wildcats, and they won one game last year? And two of them to the Indianapolis Colts. Two of them. I know. We need to get Pat, Pat Fitzgerald on the show, don't we? I guess so. Uh, selected fifth in the fifth round by the Colts. Uh, 158th overall of the 2023 NFL Draft safety, Daniel Scott from Cal. Started 28 games in his uh, 49-game career at Cal. Over 200 tackles, some tackles for loss, uh, and seven interceptions with one return for a touchdown. Did we miss Darius Rush? Maybe I did. If we're going in the exact order. Uh, yes, I did. Of the picks. Totally. Too, yeah, my bad there. My bad. Technical. There's a lot of round four and round fivers. Uh, so I think he was 20 spots earlier, right? Yeah, 138. Yep, the corner out of South Carolina. And do you remember that piece of paper that you handed me at the start of the podcast saying, okay, which Colt is the best bet to start 17 games? This was your bet here? Uh, Juju was number one. Darius Rush would be number two. Interesting. Why? So much to do with the position he plays. So much to do with it. I mean, do you really, are you going to tell me right now in Sharpie it's Dallas Flowers? Are you going to tell me in Sharpie it's Isaiah Rogers? And this is probably more of a when you play three corners. And you know the advantage Darius Rush is going to have over Juju Brents? He's going to be healthy, theoretically, for the spring. Ah, good point, good point. So you'll get, I mean, when you talk about spring, and I guess this is a little bit of a let's get outside of the draft for just a second. The Colts are the rookie minicamp this weekend. They'll get into the offseason program, so rookies will then be in with veterans starting next Monday. You'll get, I think it's two weeks of just kind of that slow integration of positional drills, maybe some seven-on-seven. And then, like, mid-May, I could probably pull up the calendar and get the exact date. May 23rd, okay? So May 23rd, they'll begin OTAs. They'll have three that week. May 30th, they'll have another three. June 6th, they'll have another three. One of those weeks, actually, they'll have four. Um, that'll get them to 10. So they'll get 10 OTA sessions. And just a reminder, OTAs are voluntary, but you show up if you care about football. Yep. <laughs> and they are 11 on 11 without full pads. But your coaches can be out there. Mm-hmm. So they're the closest thing you'll get to full pads at all in the offseason until training camp. So you have 10 of those sessions. And then June 13th, 14th, the 15th, a three-day mini camp. So you have 13 times between now and Grand Park where you'll have an 11-on-11, 90-minute practice. So that means, for Darius Rush, 
he'll get 13 chances that Juju Brents won't get, if you want to look at it like that. So the frame and the speed should be of no concern. I mean, we're talking legit 6'1", 6'2", ran 4'3", 6". Um, he's a former wideout, which would yeah. lead me to think he's got good ball skills. I know he didn't have a ton of interceptions at South Carolina. I believe he was the cornerback of the week at the Senior Bowl. Uh, was not penalized very often at all. I think the reasons why he fell, uh, not a great tackler, was I think um, a big thing on that end. Um, but I was surprised. I mean, Ballard mentioned he was kind of a round four guy. I know some people thought he was better than the other South Carolina uh, corner, Cam, Cam Smith. Is that yep. it? Yep. Um, so, yeah, he, he's one that I would put up there, Eddie, just because, again, more to do with the position than – Anything. Very athletic background, too. Played football, baseball, basketball, golf, and track in high school. He uh, he is a state champion in the high jump and triple jump. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, track, track backgrounds galore. Yeah. Uh, I already I skipped over him. Now we're to him. Daniel Scott. Daniel Scott, special teamer. Special teamer. I thought it was a hair early for this sort of thinking, but... I mean, I guess you're giving Brian Mason something to work with in the sense of new special teams coach, but this is a dude that, to me, is very much a core special teamer from day one. Um, also seems like a smart guy when you major in sociology and earned a graduate certifi- uh, certificate in business administration. Yeah, six-minute Zoom with him, I, I, I got that impression that he's a pretty intelligent individual. I think he played a lot of spots within Cal's defense. Cal actually had a decent defense. Um 28 career starts, again. Stop me if you've, if you've heard this before. Senior Bowl captain. Uh, he's old, Eddie. Turns 25 in October. Mm. Old. That's like that, that's usually what you get out of the BYU crew. And we don't call them old, Kevin. We call them seasoned. Very smart, boy. You sound like Daniel Scott's agent. Um, did sound like not the most sound tackler. Because um, if he's old, then I'm approaching old. <laughs> Fast. A really good short area testing numbers. You know, I had safety in the seventh round of my mock, of the positional mock that we did. Uh, positional mock actually looked really I was about good. To, I was about to ask you, how'd that one do in terms of numbers there? Positional mock started four for four. I know. That was, and you and I were texting, that was quarterback, corner, wide out. And I, I even put it on Twitter. I said, hey, yeah, I kept voting. You should have stuck with the positional mock. <laughs> Wait for a second here. Come on now. Chris Bauer did say at the combine that one year that he reads. Not just listens, he also reads. He went freaking bowling over here writing <laughs> about my... Uh, need for wide receivers you know the reason i put safety in there is rodney mcleod i i don't say this i like i have this on great authority but it does sound like it's no slam dunk he's coming back uh still free agent who knows if he'll ever play football again and then julian blackman is in a contract year so you know you still have rodney thomas obviously you still have blackman of course you have nick cross um but you know i did think safety at some point but to me daniel scott before you get necessarily to the safety stuff, I think you start him as a as a potentially a core special teamer. Next pick for the Indianapolis Colts in round five. I think this is the final fifth round pick, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's not. It's second to last. He has ties here to the state of Indiana. Yes. His father, legendary coach at Indiana University. Grandfather. Grandfather. Yeah. My apologies. Grandfather. Uh, Will Mallory, tight end. Miami. Yeah, his, um, his dad, I think, is a longtime special teams coach in the NFL. His uncle, Kurt, has been at Indiana State for several years as their head coach. And Bill Mallory, to your point, Eddie, 
Um, probably the best. I had them seen. all just stuck in my head. I couldn't remember which one was where. Oh my gosh, you should have seen me at first, like try and figure out the family tree here. You know, he it- played his high school quarterback. Will Mallory was Gus Bradley's son. <laughs> wow. If you want to go a step further, Jacksonville is where they were residing at the time, and of course, Gus was. You know the head coach of the Jags mm-hmm. back then. You know when I saw the tight end pick, I thought, okay, no shock there. Um, but again, Eddie, this skill set, kind of like slot at corner, doesn't necessarily match up with my thought about tight end going into the draft. Mm-hmm. Mallory ran the fastest forty of any tight end at the combine. When I see him, I think more Kylan Granson than I do Jack Doyle, Mo Alley Cox. Uh, he's not really much of an inline blocker. No, and so this is where I'm a little bit head scratchy, just like okay. I know Granson hasn't done enough to say you don't touch that sort of skill set, but it's just kind of like, what are they going to do at tight end? Mm-hmm. I think we, we did. We have a question on Mo Alley Cox mm-hmm. on Twitter. Okay, so l- l- let's hold off on maybe going there. Uh, but again, he had a really nice yards per catch average at Miami, 115 catches there. Uh, senior Bowl team captain, former track. There you go. Uh, and I always think this when you get into deep, deep position uh depth positions in a draft i'm always like in a normal year where would that guy have gone like in a normal tight end year is will mallory a third round pick you know that those are kind of always thoughts that i have when you do end up drafting depth at a position so let's hold off on getting into tight end and that depth chart until uh twitter questions i thought you were right i thought it was kurt mallory it's doug kurt's at indiana state right Doug is uh, his uncle. He is. I was multiple. Yeah, he is, and this player bio at the Colts in us. He's reportedly the coach at Indiana State. Is he Doug. coaching with Kurt? I don't know. Could have sworn Kurt Mallory head coach for the Sycamores, but I, okay, you know, if I was looking into Indiana State football again. Matty Bowen would probably say we need to reevaluate. He is currently the head coach. So, ooh, you may want to. Alert whoever sent these player bios out that you got something right that they didn't. If it was the first time I've ever made a mistake, that would certainly be not true. So uh, all good on that end. Last uh, fifth-round pick for the Indianapolis Colts, the second of the four Northwestern Wildcats drafted this year, Evan Hull, another player that you had mocked in your mock draft to the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, had him mocked. Um, again, pass-catching running back was what I was thinking, and Hull checks that box. You know, Interestingly enough, Eddie, when you think pass-catching running back, I think we just think speed, speed merchant, speed mm-hmm. demon. Hull is not necessarily that. He tested better than he plays. Now, to be fair to him, I watch Northwestern. Have you ever thought, watching Northwestern, that anyone is fast on their football team? No, this guy's just physical. No. Tough, gritty. He's like, yeah, and I know we're getting into such Northwestern stereotypes, but he is kind of that. Like, He's going to bite your kneecap off. <laughs> when you watch him, he just, I feel like he's just got those little like powerful legs and just kind of a churner in that realm. But again, he did test pretty well. Uh, but don't think of him as like just pure jitter bug out of the backfield. Former really, wrestler. Really high. Oh, that, that Watching him play, that definitely checks. Uh, 88 catches the last two years. Those are really high numbers. He also ran for 2,000 yards. Yeah. So it's not like he was just purely this third down guy. Now, it's a lot to say, hey, day three rookie, come be the third down back for an NFL team in year one. But you know what? It, it can happen. And Eddie, think back to the Eagles this year. Miles Sanders, sure. But Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott played some big roles for them. Gainwell, especially. I was about to say, he seems like the 
the Kenneth Gainwell role yes. in this Colts offense. And after Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss, just flip a coin on who you want to round out that running back room. Is it Darrington Evans who they signed a few weeks ago? Is it Deion Jackson? Like, I know they have a couple undrafted kids coming in here. So, uh, Ballard saw him play against Wisconsin. No shock there. Um, <laughs> yeah. He had four catches for 62 yards in that game. So, he had a big game, you know, out, out of the backfield. Um, he spoke highly of special teams. He kind of said as he grew more into the running back role, you know, less special teams usage for him. So, that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, I was all for this guy entering the draft. And I think he's got a good chance to be a – he could possibly have a role for you early on. Um, someone's got someone's to get that role. Someone's got to do it because – I don't think you just want to beat Taylor into the ground in that role. And also, Jonathan Taylor, you know, he's kind of been a bit of a liability at times on third down Mm -hmm. as a pass protector. So, um, Evan Hull here, rounding out. I thought it was Hull originally, but Hull, Mm -hmm. U-L-L for him. Like Jordan Hulls? Uh, Correct. uh, Singular. Uh, Much easier name. Correct. But from the pronunciation standpoint. uh uh-huh. Much easier name than his college teammate. Yeah. Oh, by the way, at Ricky Minicamp this uh, later this week, uh, uh-huh. my alma mater will be represented. I saw that. Um, Toriano Clinton. He set the record for almost every rushing record in the book for uh, the Greyhounds. Of U- University of Indianapolis. Yeah. Those unfamiliar. Yeah. Um, he's on a tryout, correct? Correct. Yeah. He was invited to Ricky Minicamp. So we should probably kind he's of a running back behind yeah. the curtain how Ricky Minicamp works. Again, just rookies on the field. Um your attempt there is to try and create some 11-on-11 11 11 action. Well, the Colts have 12 draft picks. They'll have, what, another 12 undrafted free agents? That's 24. You obviously need some depth pieces. So, basically, teams are allowed to bring in, I think it's like 20-ish tryout guys. And typically, Eddie, every year, they will keep one or two tryout guys and cut one or two of the undrafted free agents. So, Good luck on that end. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he was at the local pro day. He was. He was at their local pro day. Yeah. He was at the uh, Bengals pro day. Okay. So and the Bears. Look at that. Oh, wow. Yeah, he got three of them. He got a little bit of uh, everything on that end. Uh, back to who the Colts drafted in round six. He's playing the Leo position. It's Titus Leo, How defensive end from that? Wagner. How fitting is that? This dude's kind of got a crazy background. Um, first off, it's Wagner. Fourth nfl or i think ever from wagner the colts actually have one of them on their roster and chris williams um he's got a little bit of an ej speed position variety background oh he played safety oh he played wide out he played linebacker he's only been edge rusher for two years now i would say the first thing that jumped out to me was this eddie this is only division one offer too was wagner yeah god they, i mean and they're what fcs something or other mm-hmm. um you know, when you see the small school kids get drafted on day three, usually what it is, like Ashton Doolin, for example, I know he wasn't drafted, but, you know, he was an undrafted kid. He put up, like, video game numbers at Malone. That was the college he went to. Mm-hmm. Like, when you see the small school kids, it's just unbelievable how many touchdowns or yards. I mean, to your point about the UND kid. Mm-hmm. Titus Leo had 13 sacks. I'm like, what? I'm like, just last year, right? That mm-hmm. was my first thought when I saw him. I was like, wait, this doesn't check. So it is interesting. Now, again, he only was an edge rusher for two years, so that's worth noting. But 13 sacks for him. He did have a big tackle for loss number. I think it was 40. Yes, 40. So that that's obviously a big number. Um, Had an interception and blocked uh, three extra points. It sounded like, 
East West Shrine game is where he kind of put himself on the map a little bit there. Um, you know, this has been an issue for the Colts, I would say, dating back to the start of the Chris Boward era. The Colts have lacked a speed edge rusher. I guess Ngakwe gave you a little bit of it for a year, but they just don't have a lot of pure. Like, I know Quiddy Pay tested great. I don't consider Pay like a speed rusher. I probably consider him a little power first and then can kind of get into his speed. Um, if you're going to have a dozen draft picks, this is this would be a must for me every year. At some point, you throw a dart at an edge rusher. You just do it. No matter who you are, every team should be doing this. Uh, but the Colts especially, again, considering the issues that they have had off the edge. So we'll see if it works. Dart at a Wagner product here on day three. And you know something that should be noted, because I, I did hear this a lot this week, you know, why nine picks on day three? Why? It's a Ballard MO. I think Ballard thinks the draft is a crapshoot, so throw as many darts at the board. Again, I'm probably more of a, you're at the point right now where you need more high-end talent, so mm-hmm. take chances. I would rather have limited quantity, hopefully better quality. But I see where he's coming from on this. And lastly, I think it's worth noting, the practice squad changes, I think, are a big reason why Ballard's more open to this. It's a bigger practice squad. You can bump them up for a few games. You know, in college football now, you can play the four games and you can still redshirt. Mm-hmm. You know, in the practice squad, you kind of do that. You get bumped up, what, three times? And you can still go back to the practice squad. So I think that's how Ballard looks at it is if you look at the Colts week one practice squad from last year, of the 16 guys, I bet over half of them played in the game. So that's, I think, what some of this thinking is here with that. And while it's on my mind, before we get to the two seventh round guys, why is Ballard obsessed with athletes? We've heard him talk about, you know, it's the stuff you can't teach and it provides a higher ceiling. He would argue it also provides a higher floor just because they're so darn athletic they can only fail so much. Mm-hmm. I think it's also something along the lines of the game is now being played more in space. Your linebacker position looks a whole lot different than it looked 10 years ago. And your safeties are not necessarily the cam chancellors. They're more of cover guys. So I think what Ballard's thought is the game is played more in space. Seven-on-seven world is slowly infiltrating the NFL world. I'd rather have athletes that can make some plays when they're on islands. So, yeah. It's a good point. It explains why almost everyone has a RAS score over eight and a half. I think marrying the RAS with a little bit more college production would be something I would like to see. Yep, me too. It's tough to achieve that. I do think this year's class, more than others, had a little bit more college production. Now, it's not like you're seeing first-team All-Americans littered throughout this group. Hell, I don't even know how many necessarily like first-team All-Conference guys you, you see littered across this group. Certainly your quarterback it, it is not that. So um, it, it's finding a little bit more of that balance with that. But I do think, like in Downs's case, he certainly brought – very nice college production. You know, Brent's um, you know, started two years on a really quality team, and I, I assume he was an all-conference type of guy. Um, so, yeah. The second to last pick the Colts made was that cornerback Jalen Jones out of Texas A&M. They selected him with the 221st overall pick, started 32 games, all 32 games even, uh, at Texas A&M. Yeah, highly rated recruit coming out of high school. I think a lot of people thought safety. I think some NFL teams even thought, you know, could he be a little bit more into the safety realm? Uh, why did he fall? Uh, very slow 40. 
north of four five. Um, you know, some people thought a little bit too grabby, inconsistent tackler. Really wasn't targeted much at all in twenty twenty two. So he, he was had some. Yeah, to your point, he was the second recruit in Texas in twenty twenty overall, yeah. and that's pretty. Just, I mean, when you consider Texas, that's yeah, that's saying something. Yeah, and of course, Jimbo Fisher had those big time recruiting classes. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at the three corners, Eddie, two out of the SEC, and then Brents was on a team where that conference throws it a ton. So, um, I like that thought. I would have liked to have seen more of a slot out of these trio. Yeah, Kenny Moore's on a contract here. You know, some people are like, oh, Julian Blackman showed he could play slot. Well, Julian Blackman's in a contract here. So, um, I just think it's important to try and find that future there. But, I mean, out of these three corners, man, two making the 53? I would have to say yes, right? Obviously, one of those two is going to have to help you out on special teams if they want to make it, but it's an opportunity uh, more so than anybody. More so than any other any other position, I should say. He played both ways in high school. I uh, was a receiver as well, as well as playing safety. Also lettered in track. Per usual. Why don't these people play golf? But Darius Rush played golf. Darius Rush played five sports in high school. One of them is golf. That's why I'm also high on him. <laughs> I want to talk golf with him. I know. I've, I I mentioned that in there. Now the most I th- I heard your conversation with Joel Erickson this morning. Uh-huh. This guy was the most intriguing selection in his eyes. That is Jake Witt, the tackle from Northern Michigan. Another big boy, 6'7", 302 pounds. He started all 22 games of his career at Northern Michigan uh, just in two seasons. Former tight end and then was moved to tackle very similar to Bernard Reitman. You know, what are the Colts telling us about directional schools in Michigan and former basketball tight enders that turn out to be offensive tackles for him? Is this Joe Wright's new favorite Colt? I have to ask him. Is this Bernard Reitman's new favorite Colt? What was Reitman? Was Reitman Central? He was Central, Yes, he was Central Michigan. Joe was Western, and now we have Northern. So where's the Eastern Michigan... Offensive lineman next year that has a basketball background. Let's start researching now, Kevin. Get ahead of it. Let's see what his RAS score is. Um, the Jake Witt story is pretty darn cool. Uh, 2018, Eddie. He's a basketball player at Michigan Tech. He mm-hmm. was the upper peninsula Mr. Basketball. Oh, the upper quartile, the upper quartile. Uh, Jim Irsay had to sign off on this. You know that your state's big when you have a section of your state that has a Mr. Basketball. <laughs> or, or you have a part of the state that's so isolated from everything else that you have to do that. Uh, so he goes to Michigan Tech, plays basketball in 2018. It uh, stops playing, transfers to Northern Michigan. He's a, he's just an average student in 2019. Just you and me, Eddie, walking around campus. 2020, he decides I'm going to go back and play football. Okay, uh, Jake, what's your football history? Oh, well, I played eight man football in high school my junior year. While I was being valedictorian to my class. Is he really valedictorian as well? Yeah. Oh my gosh, this story gets better and better. Um, so he initially is a tight end. And then, boom, 20, 2021 season, they're playing Ferris State. That would be the eventual national champs, Ferris State. You're doing the V. Are they Division two. Division two. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, they did not beat Alabama or, or, or Georgia. I thought you were doing like a Fresno no. Valley V there. I, was, I, was I hate Ferris State so much. I was going to say, they've got to be a rival of N- UND. Not really a rival, but they're just so good at everything. <laughs> so you're jealous. Yes. Um. All of a sudden, during the middle of the game, offensive linemen get hurt. Coaches come up to him, and boom, here's jersey number 65. Jake, you're playing tackle. And in that process, he put on about 40 pounds over the last 18 months 
and he will be a dart at the board for an athletic tackle that really I don't even think was like that great of a player, to be totally honest with you. I, I think it was a very like up-and-down experience, I guess as you would expect at the Division II level, but Chris Ballard nearly fell out of his chair watching his workout <laughs> on film. <laughs> Ballard's like, I almost drafted him purely off the workout. So, uh, Did you mention he was a wide receiver in high school? Yeah, I, I guess you should mention that. Yeah, wide out and then tied in initially at Northern Michigan and then again grew into that tackle. Uh, Tony Soprano Jr., the O-line coach for the Colts, went there for a private workout, so it worked him out. And, yeah, the Colts are taking a chance. And, I, I mean, these, this is kind of like the new tight end basketball player. You know, just find the 6'8", 300-pound dude that's uber-athletic and see what you can do with them. And, Eddie, let's not forget the Shane Steichen background. It's uh, Jordan Mailata, right? Yeah. The Eagles guy? Yeah. A rugby player. They took him in, what, round six or round seven? Mm-hmm. He turned out to be really, really He's good. He's got a big payday, didn't he? Yeah. So, again, that is some of the thinking here with this sort of selection. And this screams practice squad, right? You would hope. I mean, him and Titus Leto scream practice squad. Yeah. Of just, they haven't either played football very long, they haven't played that position very long. In Witt's case, you need a lot more to develop body-wise. In Leo's case, you need to fine-tune a lot more pass rushing. This just screams... Redshirt year, and if you're going to do the 12 pick thing, this is how you do it. Like this is what you should do. And if you're going to take projects, take them at positions that matter. And in Leo's case and Witt's case, those positions matter. Hey Kev, guess what? You lettered in track. <laughs> Unbelievable. And it's all these discus, right? Sprints, discus relays, and, and throws. Javelin, and you did 100 meters, 200 meters, shot put, discus, and long jump. Oh, by the way, he graduated uh, with a degree in applied exercise science and health and also received his certification to be a personal trainer. Ho-hum. So if you need somebody to be a trainer on the field, there you go. You got it. Um, all right, you got anything else, or should we get into Twitter questions? Let's get into Twitter questions. we got a handful to get to. Heavy yeah. horseshoes up first. Hey, Kev, question for the pod. With no linebackers selected in the draft, does this speak volume to the progress of Shaq Leonard or the lack of depth of linebackers in the draft? Thanks for taking my questions and doing the pod. Haven't missed an episode since I started listening back in 2019, and it was also the main reason why I started a Twitter account. God, well, thank you for that. Boy, that makes me feel uh, very Nice happy. and warm and fuzzy. On this... Uh, on this Monday morning here. Um, yeah, I think it's got to be viewed as somewhat positive. It, it, it has to be viewed as somewhat positive on that front. Now, I, I do think this, in regards to Leonard, how do you truly, truly know until he gets on the field? You know, that is something that I think you have to um, keep in mind. So, uh, EJ Speed is a name we've talked about a whole lot, and he's a guy that, of course, um, I think he's going to play a big role for you, and it could be a huge role if you know Leonard um, is ready to go. And we had Joel Erickson on this morning. Eddie, you mentioned that. Joel, um, I believe the biggest undrafted free agent signing bonus is the Houston linebacker. Um, smaller guy, uh, like kind of more of the mold. Uh, Donovan uh, Mooton, I, I believe I'm saying that right. Um, so he comes from Houston. Um, so, you know, it's a great opportunity. Like JoJo Doman last year, a great opportunity for an undrafted linebacker to make the team. But I, I think it's got to be viewed in somewhat of a positive light on, on the Leonard front. 
I would agree with you there. I think the guy that New England selected, I can't remember if it was in the fifth round maybe. He was a, uh, a smaller school guy, very similar to Shaq in that regard. Freaky athlete with insane production. I thought that was a guy that they would have gone after. I can't remember his name. Yeah, I mean, it was thought to be a pretty weak linebacker class in general. So, Bauer said they had a couple identified, but... Did not decide to go that route. Uh, Yim is up next. Where do you stand on when Anthony Richardson should start? Some people say start him day one. Others say sit him out for a year. I ride the line between both. He needs starting reps, but he also don't want to kill his confidence. Maybe start him late in the season. I'm baptism by fire. I am baptism by fire. And so I could is, be wrong. So is Jim Ursay. He said that in, to you guys uh, what was that, Saturday? Yeah, you know, Ursa had kind of hinted at that, and then I was like, I got to sneak in one more question. I was like, Jim, how important do you think it is for Anthony Richardson to play as a rookie? And that's when he kind of went, you know, much deeper into that. I understand the confidence question, and I would counter with this. And this might be too harsh, Eddie. So I, you know, go ahead. People can heavily disagree with me. If I'm worried about hurting your confidence, then I don't think you're wired the right way to succeed at this level. Yep. Might be too harsh. He's 21 years old. He has 13 starts. I I, I, I understand the reasoning in, in sitting him. Um, but I just think this dude needs game reps. And maybe the, I look at Trey Lance, and you know, I, obviously people can counter with other people that have sat and have played great, but they, to me, have a lot more college experience. They have a lot more throws. Um, you know, Richardson, to me, Eddie, where he struggles is like the three and five step, kind of the quick hitter stuff, which in practice is so much different than a game. I mean, you, you know, you can't be hit, period, at all. And just timing, like timing in a game, I think it's different than timing and in practice and those sorts of things. Ursa um, and Steichen certainly sound like they're open to him playing and playing early. So, again, if I were a betting man on May 1st, I would say that he would play um, or start the, the, the opener. Um, I could be dead wrong, but th- that's my thought right now. Um, and also, I, you know, if you really care about winning, do you feel like there's any competitive advantage to playing him early and, like, catching teams off guard? I guess if you inserted him midseason, you'd still be catching teams off guard, quote-unquote, with that. Um, you know, I had someone, I forget who the name was, DM me, like, some great, great research on quarterbacks – that start in today's NFL that had really low completion percentages at some point in college and, like, over time have, have made this jump to being acceptable, above-average accuracy guys. And it was really good. And a lot of quarterbacks on that list that maybe we we wouldn't think of, uh, like throwers. Uh-huh. And the question that I had, again, glass half full would say this. You don't need Richardson to get to Phillip Rivers' car— uh, Drew Brees completion percentage. You just need him to get to like 62 or 64. Yeah. and you, Because he's going to hit enough big plays with his arm, and he's certainly going to hit big plays with his legs. You don't need to be 10 for 80 down the field for a touchdown drive. Like You should be a more of a big play offense. The glass half empty would say this. When those guys made their accuracy jumps, a lot of it still occurred in college. Can Richardson do that in the NFL? Year one to year two, we always hear that. You know, how big of a jump do you make from year one to year two? Year two for Anthony Richardson is literally going to be playing in the NFL. Year two for ninety-eight percent of quarterbacks that get drafted is still in college. So it's an easier environment theoretically because you're playing against 
competition is not as on the even you know ground as as you are and it's a little bit more familiar you obviously aren't 21 years old playing in the NFL so that's the question of can Richardson make the jump in a professional setting because a lot of those guys made their or started to make their jumps I should say in in um college settings versus NFL settings um shameless plug we'll have Anthony Richardson's quarterbacks coach uh Will Hewlett He's going to join us tomorrow on our morning show, Kevin and Quarry, 7 a.m. Tuesday morning here in Indy. What time is he on? He's joining us at 7 a.m., but he'll join us at some point. I would guess sometime in the 8 o'clock hour. What kind of host are you? I know. I I don't know. I'm just kidding. I mean, you've got like like 20 hours until your show, so you're good. (laughs) Uh, Wake Spike is up next. Hey, guys, let me start off saying uh, I'm sorry to Eddie for not hitting the Stroud bet. It's okay. I did hit. Uh, I did hit Anthony Richardson. That's how I knew the, the odds closing at plus five hundred. Did hit on that. I, I showed KB the the receipt on that one. You did money, money, baby. Uh, anyway, last year my brother and I got row one on the field seats uh, on the field for a hundred dollars for the last game against Houston. We even got on the red zone. How much of that, or how much, if at all, do you think Anthony Richardson will impact seat prices? Sure. Yeah. I think it will. You know, I mean, the whole ticket prices and seat prices, I always kind of find interesting. You know, when you're bad, like the Colts were last year, what do you do? You take a chunk of your tickets and sell them to some ticketing company. And let, let let them deal with it. You know, you can manipulate attendance numbers. But, I mean... Oh, yeah, duh. I mean, The Reds do it every day. We said this on Friday's pod, man. I mean, how? The Colts, the Colts were boring as hell last year. Boring. To the answer, you don't need to watch golf on Sunday. You just watch the Colts from 2022. Hey. Boring as hell. Did you just and, call golf boring? Well, yeah, yeah. I can be honest. Um, <laughs> they will at least be in a, a more entertaining product. And you know what, Eddie? True TV for the AFC South? You might need to bump the AFC South up to TNT or TBS. They're no longer true. They got, they got fun young quarterbacks. Curious quarterbacks. Maybe more than anything. Uh, we'll see how fun it is. And you know what? I also say this. You know, we, we drank mayo and coffee on our morning show last week, <laughs> and I'd like to think that our How sacrifice was that? it was as utterly horrific as you could imagine. I'd like to think our sacrifice led to the Colts passing on Will Levis. You think so? By the way, should I believe Jim Mercer saying Anthony Richardson would have been the pick at number one by the Colts? No. So you're telling me you would have taken him at number one, but you weren't willing to trade up from four to three? But they were try. They would have. That's what Ballard said. They they called Arizona. And Arizona's honest with them. Wouldn't Arizona say we want the best trade package possible? What are you willing to offer? Well, it is a rookie GM, Kevin. Have you haven't you seen draft day? Touche. Would the Colts have taken Levis at four? I don't know. He's more like Bo Callahan to me. You know, I did have a few Titans fans in my mentions saying I'd rather have a draft with Peter Skaronsky and Will Levis than have Anthony Richardson. Oh. Hey, we're going to get a chance to compare him, Stroud, everything. Uh, but yes, Wake Spike, to your point, I know next year's schedule includes uh, Bryce Young on it, right? But that might be a road game. I think it's at Carolina. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... How many times have I said this, Eddie? It is hope. It's injection of life. It is... I'm going to do a winners and losers article coming up from the, Col- from the Colts draft. Mm-hmm. And who is the biggest winner? Colts fans. The organization. And I mean that in all seriousness and zero sappiness out of it. You have told your franchise and your fan base, we are trying to build a long-term winner for the first time since Andrew Luck retired. 
That is exactly eight to ten year run. That's what you want. Can you create that type of run? And you are trying to create that with a twenty one year old. You know, leading up to the draft, you and I talked about a lot about how the Indiana Pacers they have hope because sure. of Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin and the ascension of Miles Turner and the, there was just not that same feeling when it came to the Colts and now the drafting of Anthony Richardson has certainly changed that kind of mindset or outlook now on the franchise. I could not agree more. Um, let's go with a couple more. Uh, give me that Mo Alley Cox one, wherever that one is. Let's ask the Mo Alley Cox one. And then wasn't there an undrafted free agent one? Uh, yes. Let's go with those two so, before we round it out. Chris. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And Tanner submitted this uh, very similar question. Uh, hey, Kevin, hope all is well. Could you give your thoughts on the future of Mo Ali Cox? I feel like we should have tried trading him for an additional late round pick. And that kind of goes into a text that I got from a friend, Alec. He was asking, are we surprised that we didn't see a veteran traded on draft night like we have with Chris Ballard in the past? Yeah, and correct if I'm wrong, Eddie, I don't know if anybody really got traded around the NFL. Besides DeAndre Swift, yeah, I can't think of anybody. On on day three was what I was getting. I don't know, maybe Swift was day three now. I think about it, I kind of forget if that was day two or three. They all run together. Um, I mean, what do you trade Mo Ali Cox for? I know that. I know that, that. That sounds a bit harsh. You know, okay, tight end right now, Eddie. You've got about four guys for six. No, six guys for four spots. Okay. Mo Ali Cox, Jelani Woods, Drew Ogletree, Kylan Granson, um, Will Mallory, and Farrell Brown. Six guys for four spots. And some would argue four is too many tight ends. So when I look at that, I'm thinking, okay, is Will Mallory a practice squad guy? I mean, he's, a, he's a fifth-round pick. I mean, that's not like a guarantee you could stick him to the practice squad. Mm-hmm. But isn't Mallory more Kylan Granson? Who helps you out on special teams? The thing about Mo Ali, first off, his contract is not, like, killing you by any means. No. Again, you're not getting anything better than a seventh-round pick, and that might even be wishful thinking on uh, on that front for him. And lastly, I think he brings the trait you need the most in that room right now as an inline blocker. That's the one missing ingredient to me. Like, I think you need more of an inline blocker, just more of a guy you throw out there, and you're not necessarily tipping your hand on first or second down. So that's where I look at this tight end room and think, it's going to be tough to make the team. How they want to go from a skill set standpoint, how... Shane Steichen wants to go from a skill set standpoint is really interesting. Are they going to be more zone running like they were in Philly, or are they going to be more power? Yeah, Sperano Jr. wouldn't really hint at that. I, I tend to think a little bit more zone, but we will see. Um, I think they will be making some schematic changes. The Will Mallory pick, though, isn't that more Kylan Granson? So should Kylan Granson be worried? Again, i probably way too early on this and overthinking it. I don't think you are. I mean, the production from him hasn't been there, and he's had the history of drops. Yeah, and more than anything, just, okay, let's not debate the names necessarily. Just from a sheer number standpoint, it's six for four, and it might be six for three. So, and you're not cutting Jelani Woods, right? I don't think so. <laughs> you know? So, Woods is definitely a lock. So, more it's like five for two. 
I guess Ogletree could be a practice squad guy just because it's not like a guarantee he comes off the ACL and looks exactly like he looked last year. I guess that might be one. And nobody really knows. Sure. It was still practice with him. Very interesting. That might be the position group I'm most curious about, non-quarterback division. Big Bama. Out of the undrafted free agents, who do you think has a realistic chance to make the roster or has a chance to make immediate impact on the team? Also, with the draft picks and undrafted free agents, who do you think is on alert for a surprise cut during camp? Popular question. It's a popular one. We also just brought up you know, a couple of names. Um on that front, um, as far as the undrafted kids, we again throw the linebackers on that list. Um, Emil Echior from Cathedral, the Alabama guard, you know, 40 starts at right guard. Uh, Will Fries has got to be a winner of this draft. Um, so I would go here as a great opportunity to make the team. The Colts kept, didn't they keep Wesley French initially too last year? Didn't they I, keep an interior undrafted guy? I thought so. Um, so I'll go there. Um, Surprise cut. Mention some of the tight ends. I always feel like they cut a defensive lineman that at least has a resume. That at least like has done something in the league. So DeForest Buckner? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so I will throw that on there. But yeah, tight end. Hmm. I don't know. That one just kind of stands out to me. Um, I know we have some other draft-related questions. We'll get to those on next week's pod. Um, this pod has already been pretty long. Eddie, anything else? Can't think of anything else. I'm surprised you didn't make me go with the one that uh, someone brings up Tiger. So we'll have to save that one, I guess. Save the best for last, right? Um, we'll do those next Monday on the pod. Recapping Rookie Minicamp. Tons of written content on 107.5thefan.com. Cannot emphasize that enough. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you on Monday.